Hey there! Welcome to the Rambling Gals Podcast. We are your hosts, Angela and Adriana, and here you'll find pretty much everything travel-related. We took a trip a few years ago and made a fair amount of mistakes that cost us money and messed up our plans. And since then, we've worked on perfecting travel itineraries and made it a goal to get as many people as we could out into the world exploring. So here you'll find our best travel tips and tricks, interviews with other travelers and business owners, a little bit of storytelling, and a lot of tomfoolery. Thanks for listening. Welcome to this month's Saturday session. If you have traveled any time in the past, I don't know, 10 years or so, and you've set out to do some research on your destination or find new places you want to travel to, I'm sure that you've probably come across Nomadic Matt's travel website and used it as a planning resource. In fact, Matt is kind of a pioneer of travel blogging and travel websites being used as a legitimate source for people planning trips all over the world. So needless to say, I'm pretty excited to have Matt here from Nomadic Matt. And I'm going to let him jump in here and introduce himself, you know, give a little background on why he started Nomadic Matt. I know he has some upcoming travel plans that are pretty exciting. Go ahead, Matt, jump in here. Oh, well, a little bit about me. I'm just a regular person who quit his job to go take a career break or travel the world for a year before I started what I would think would be my corporate existence. And then um, here I am, like, close to 13 years later, still traveling now I write about it, and uh, you know, I started the blog as just a funsy thing to do, never really intending to make a career out of it. But then again, I never really intended to be a permanent traveler, so I guess it's just one of those happy accents of life, you know? And I've been fortunate enough to just be able to do this and you know, share my tips and tricks around the world and not repulse people with my terrible writing. <laughs> Hardly terrible. So you have a exciting upcoming travel destination, don't you? Yeah, at the end of this month, or well, wherever this podcast goes live, uh, at the end of December, I will be going to Colombia for about six weeks. Oh, very exciting. That's definitely high up on the, my list for sure. Looks amazing. I'll be looking out for your photos. Let's talk a little bit about, you know, being an entrepreneur and business side of your of Nomadic Matt. I think being an entrepreneur in today's world of, you know, the internet is a little bit more accessible to more people, but I think even still, it's not an easy process and other entrepreneurs I've spoken to or, you know, worked with kind of commiserate about all the times we've thought about giving up or doing whatever other people expected us to do instead. So I wanted to know, you know, in the early years of Nomadic Matt or, you know, maybe even now, how often did you want to just, you know, throw in the towel and just give up or... Did you ever have those feelings and how did you kind of work through those? And, you know, how long did it take, I guess? Uh, I feel like giving up every second of every day. (laughs) Yeah, me too. (laughs) I think it is, you know, the path of entrepreneurship is a rocky road. It's always ups and downs and ups and downs. One second you feel like the king of the world. The next you're like, how am I going to pay the bills this month? Or is this even worth it? Or why is nothing going right? But I think that's true, not with just, online stuff but you know restaurants stores i'm sure anyone who's ever started their own business is going to feel that way i don't think it's particularly unique to what we do but given that there is so little barrier to entry for working online all you really need is you know like a hundred bucks 
Uh, or if you're just trying to be famous on Instagram, zero, because you just have to download the free app. When there's no barrier to entry, it becomes a lot crowded a lot quicker. And I and when I started a billion years ago in 2008, you know, I, I knew every travel blogger, literally every travel blogger. A lot of people started around the 2006 to 2008 timeframe, but there were only like 50 of us. We couldn't even fill a big restaurant, you know, so you literally knew everybody, you know, and now there's... Thousands upon thousands of people I've never even heard of who are successful in their own right. But I think what's important to always remember is that there is uh, always room for quality content. You know, think of it like the restaurant industry. How many freaking Italian restaurants are there? Like I live in New York City right now. How many Italian restaurants are there in New York? Tons. So, so much good food here. Why would you ever open up another one? But nobody thinks that. They think my Italian food is better than your Italian food. So I'm going to make a better restaurant. So I like to I like to use that analogy. Be a better restaurant. Right. <laughs> yeah, that's a great way to put it because I think a lot of people feel like it's an inundated kind of field, but it's so true that you know you can tell the quality content from the stuff that's just kind of being copied and pasted around, um, or like not very much effort being put into it. So yeah, it's definitely comparable in that respect. Another thing, like I know a lot of other entrepreneurs maybe have like a memory or an experience you know, where they were entrepreneuring for the first time. So some people, you know, have a lemonade stand or they're kind of hustling baseball cards. Did you have any sort of first entrepreneurial uh, experience? Uh, this is it. This is it? <laughs> well, that's not bad for the first one, huh? Yeah, I led a corporate life and I started the blog and it, the, the blog wasn't even meant to be an entrepreneurship thing. I just wanted it to be an online resume. So when I pitched writing and trying to get guidebook gigs and editorial stuff and just, you know, trying to make my way into this space, editors and publishers could go somewhere to contact me and to see like where I've been published and some of my work, you know, the blog was just a way to showcase my writing. Just like an online portfolio kind of? Yeah. You know that, I mean, everyone has that, you know, just a little bit about me and here's some of my writing, contact me. And then I just kept blogging and that took off more than the freelance writing. Well, that is amazing. <laughs> I don't know, you know, how supportive your family and friends were when you started Nomadic Matt, but I think that's something a lot of, you know, travel bloggers or travel writers and vloggers and photographers struggle with. So, you know, were there people in your life who questioned what you were doing and why? And how did you kind of deal with the those who thought you should get a real job in the beginning years? Because I feel like a lot of other people that I talk to start their own business, always saying, my family's always harping on me, you know, it's time to get a real job. And, you know, they want to do their own thing and kind of stick it out for the long haul. So that's definitely a tough part of this. Yeah, my parents still are confused about what I do. <laughs> uh, I would say up until I wrote my first book and got it published, that my parents kept asking me when I would get a real job. Because, oh you know, having a business online is still relatively new. Mm-hmm. You know, it's still a new industry, especially when you consider how big it's become only in the last couple of years and how long the internet has been around. It was less my friends and more my parents just being like, you know, how do you earn money? Are you saving money? You know, you got to think about your retirement. You have to plan for the future. You have to do all this stuff that you're supposed to do when you have a regular nine to five corporate live in the matrix kind of job. So I think it's just a lack of understanding about this, a new industry. 
I'm sure when people were talking about computers, people were like, you're doing what now? <laughs> you know, I, I think what you just got to tell people is I'm building a business and that's it. Because everyone understands that. What are you doing? I'm starting a business. Where is this business? Oh, it's a virtual store. People are like, oh, okay. I, I, I get that. Um, yeah. <laughs> you just got to speak their language. It's like trying to find an analogy, you know, people understand or an example. But yeah, I found that, you know, the more serious that you take it, and you call it a business and you, you know, act like a business person, the more people, you know, take you seriously in what you're doing. But yeah, I've talked to a lot of people that kind of struggle with that with people in their life, just not really understanding what's going on. And then, you know, you don't really have anyone to talk about it with and who are you going to talk with about SEO, you know, in your family and friends. So it's kind of a <laughs> sticky situation. And I think that it's just, it's not only about that. It's just how do you explain to someone who doesn't work in this space what do you do for a living? I sell online courses. Mm-hmm. What, what does that yeah. mean? Oh, well, I sell like virtual books. I, I don't get that. Like Kindle books? How do you make money selling Kindle books? Like mm-hmm. publisher? No, I publish them myself. Like paperback? Never mind. I run. Never mind. I run my business. It's like an email. <laughs> Boom. All right. You know, just got to take yeah. down a notch. Yep. <laughs> How funny. So did you ever imagine you'd be, you know, such a prominent person in the travel industry? I know you talked about, you know, you started Nomadic Mat as kind of an online portfolio for your work. So it was more, it sounds like it was more of just like a plugging along, you know, day to day with kind of an overall goal in mind. So yeah, if you want to talk about that for a little bit, did you imagine you'd be such a prominent person? Uh, no, I mean, you know, it all, everything just sort of was an accident. I mean, I, I worked hard to make the website successful, you know, focusing on good design and content and all the things you need to do to become, you know, on paper a success, right? You know, I yeah. network with people. I, I wrote SEO content. I, I created products. I did an email list and yada, yada, yada. But I mean, I never sought out to be like, I want to make a business. It wasn't until years into this that I thought, I really like what I'm doing. I'm doing mm-hmm. it pretty well. What if I could do this full time? Because, you know, for the first couple of years, I was, this was still like a part time thing. I was living in Asia. I was teaching English. I was developing marketing websites online. And I was still traveling full time. I, I didn't get my first employee until five years into, into doing this. So it, it was just sort of, it, there was no, it wasn't really deliberate until about seven years into it that I said, okay. I'm going to take a shot at this. Yeah, I think it's more of just like a consequence of plugging along day to day and kind of, you know, if you enjoy what you're doing and you decide to make something out of it. Yeah, it's kind of just a consequence of working hard and doing it every single day and being consistent about it. And I think that's also one of the hardest things is just, you know, for seven years, you plugged along day to day, you know, working on things and then seven years into it or five years into it, you're like, hey, this could actually be a thing. Kind of amazing. And I know that you, you know, just started... Uh, a brick and mortar side of your business. So, you know, we've always thought about running and owning a hostel since we started staying in there, them a couple years ago. Um, so I know you co-own HK in Austin, you know, it's a pretty popular hostel in Texas where you are also based, you know, why did you decide to start this, you know, not online portion of your business? Are you involved more in the business side of things or with guests? And overall, how much do you like being a part owner? Do you want to expand and own a few more hostels? I'm very curious about this. Uh, I started, I live in Austin full time. Uh, I just come up to New York 
for a like, short period of, of time for work. But Austin is my home base. I am a Texas resident. Uh, I started the hostel with a buddy of mine, Brent, mostly because he had run a hostel up in New York. And when he moved to Austin, he said, I'm going to start a hostel. And I said, mm-hmm. not without me, you're not. Uh, <laughs> so I've always kind of wanted to own it. I thought, you know, it's more of a labor of love than anything else. And we have talked often about, you know, having a chain of hostels and expanding. But to do that, we're, you know, you really need someone to be there full time, 24-7. And I have Nomadic Matt to run. And he has a, another job in book marketing that he does. So you know, neither one of us can really dedicate the full time to do it, at least right now. But mm-hmm. we love doing the hostel. You know, I'm, it is very much a labor of love for both of us. Uh, you know, cause since we have other gigs going on, uh, but it's fun. You get to meet a lot of people, you know, it's a very intensive industry because, you know, mm-hmm. guests are always around 24 seven. Uh, yeah. but you know, we have lots of awesome experiences. We do lots of events, you know, barbecues and pub crawls and just like I host my meetups there. So, I mean, to, I did this not as a way to, to, to like start a new empire. It was like, you know, I like hostels. I've always kind of wanted to just see what it's like to own one. So let's, let's do it. You know, right. let's sounds like a great opportunity. So maybe like later down the line, uh, you know, opening a few more, starting a chain, like you talked about. And yeah, I think it's a good way to get in there and, you know, have your first co-owning of a hostel experience with a friend. That sounds great. Yeah, I mean, who's to say? You know, I mean, we, we always talk about we always talk about owning one, like and expanding, mm-hmm. but then we get sidetracked. Right. <laughs> There's too many other things to focus on. Yeah, and my goal in 2019 is to do less but better. So I'm not mm-hmm. really looking to add more things onto my plate. Right. <laughs> so we'll see. Yeah. We'll see. All right. Well, let's talk about some, you know, travel obviously is what you specialize in and some upcoming plans. You know, you're going to Colombia. There are some certain places, you know, that we immediately love when we go there and can't get enough of. And then there are kind of the destinations we feel apprehensive about. You know, we're not sure whether we love it or we hate it or we want to reserve judgment is there a destination or a few destinations that you kind of learned to love that you initially didn't like? Yeah, actually, I just recently wrote about how much I love Los Angeles, even though mm-hmm. my first few visits there, I just thought it was a junk city. <laughs> yeah. I was like, yeah, it's warm, but it's terrible. Uh, Bangkok, too. I hated Bangkok the first two or three times I was there. It was just loud, polluted. There, was a, mm-hmm. there were no real tourist sites beyond a few temples. It was a pain to get around. Everyone ripped you off. And then mm-hmm. I ended up moving there, and I lived there for two years. And now I, I can't, I can't go too long without being there. It's just like part of my heart. Was it like you discovered different, you know, areas of Bangkok or different areas of LA? You had, you know, a local show you around. What do you think helped you, you know, change your perception of the place? You know, I think so much of what we feel about a city that on that first first visit has to do with what was the weather like? How do you feel? Mm-hmm. How did people treat you? Did you make friends? Were you sick? Were you healthy? Was it sunny and warm or was it, did it rain every day? There's, there's so many factors that can go in. Was the food good? Did you just have bad food? It, it's easy to love a lot of cities the first time because, you know, 
they're compact. You know, you go to New York, it's easy to get around. It's exactly like it is in the movies, you know, you know, it's get on the subway, some bars, like check, 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 see some museums, go to the park. Like I had a great time in New York. Uh, it's what I expected. You go to Paris, you can love Paris, or then you meet some rude French waiters and you're like, ah, oh, I knew, I knew Paris was full of rude French people. I hate it. I'm never going back. So I think every place always deserves a second chance because some places unfold over time. Bangkok's not a city you visit. It's a city you live in um, because there's not a lot of tourist things to do. It's very spread out. You're going to spend a lot of time getting around. It's loud. It's not an easy like checkoff list. It's very much you have to know the certain places to go and see. The same thing with LA. It's not a city you visit. It's a city you live in. Mm-hmm. You're going to go to LA, see the sites where you're going to spend like eight hours in traffic just to go from one end of the city to the other throughout the course of the day. You know, you just can't like hop on the train and go to one end. Mm-hmm. It doesn't work that way. It's, it takes time to really unfold. And I think um, there's a lot of places like that in the world. And so every place deserves a second chance. Now, yeah, yeah. does that mean your next trip should be to that place? No, I mean, I don't really like Vietnam. It's well-known, well-documented that I did not enjoy my time there. But, you know, I said I would never go back, and then I, I kind of grew up a little bit and realized, well, every place deserves a second chance. I'll get to back to Vietnam one day, but, you know, not super. Not in a rush to get there. <laughs> I think it's really important to just keep an open mind when you're going to places you are, that aren't necessarily necessarily on your bucket list or travel list or whatever. And currently right now I'm, I'm where you were, you know, on your first trip to Bangkok, we just got back and I'm feeling like the, I did not like Bangkok feelings and, you know, I've never liked LA, but like you said, I will always give them a second or a third or a fourth chance. You know, if I'm in the area, I will always go check it out. And I think having that open mind about, you know, the weather or, you know, the initial people that you met or the food or, did you get food poisoning <laughs> can really kind of soil what you remember from the place. And so I think it's great to just, I mean, in general, when you're traveling, have an open mind, but don't let those certain specific things kind of paint the picture of how you remember those places. I think is very important. It's about having that open mind. You know, I had a f- friend who hated Paris. She was like, I hate Paris. I was like, well, you're going to come to Paris with me and join a bunch of us. And now she loves Paris. Like she just took her friends to Paris, like to be there. And I think she hated Paris because she went there years ago on a school trip and she just like hated it and it was rude. And I don't know, that experience. And I think so much of how you perceive a place is based on how you feel that first time. I didn't really love Madrid till the second time I went there because the first time I spent like a week in my hostel bed with the flu. Oh no. <laughs> so my first memory of Madrid is just being sick. Probably in the heat, I imagine, <laughs> which is not pleasant. Yeah. <laughs> and also I always tell people, you know, just because, you know, for example, in Paris, like if the waiter is rude to you or the service is not what you expect, I think it's because people are looking at it with like the lens of being an American. So you expect, you know, your waiter to be overly friendly and come check on your table three or four times throughout the meal. And so I think using that perception when you're in a different place also, you know, helps people decide how they feel about a place rather than 
it's just different and it's not necessarily a bad thing. It's just different and it's not rude. It's just the way they do things. <laughs> I think that's important to understand. And I'm glad you took your friend back to Paris. Um, it's always really fun to change people's mind about a place and take them to your favorite places as well. I love seeing people like change their mind or, you know, see the things that I love to see also is really fun. Yeah. You know, and I think going back to your waiter thing, your waiter example, if I dealt with tourists all day, every day, I'd be rude yeah. too. I mean, I've right. seen people in New York, you know, and they're just like, what do you want? You know, if it's like, well, how do I do this? Like, how do you live in your life? Like, Wait, how are you making it through the day? <laughs> I feel like when people, when so many, a lot of people, when they travel, they become children and it, like, you lose your ability to function in the real world. And so if I had had to deal with a lot of clueless um, tourists, and it's not just a language barrier, I mean, like, just like, do I go through this door or do I right. enter where it says enter? It's in, it's in English, you know, I would probably get a little annoyed, you know, and be not my best self. So mm-hmm. I think when people are like, well, I went to Paris and the French were rude. It's like, well, what, what French people did you meet? Well, the guy, the waiter, I'm like, yeah, well, that's one French person, you know. Wouldn't you be rude if you had to deal with customers all day? Most waiters mm-hmm. are rude. Very true. Yep. And I think that's important to understand also is like these people are dealing with, you know, if it's at a tourist restaurant, you know, that same crowd all day long, <laughs> all year long also is going to be wearing down on you, I'm sure. So being understanding of that <clears throat> is important as well. Yeah. And also, you know, just understanding that, you know, in other cultures, they're not looking to serve you, have you eat, mm-hmm. and get you out the door within 30 minutes, you know, like, yeah. it's like, okay, like, I'm eating, I'm gone. In other places, it's just like, well, sit here until you don't feel like sitting here anymore. Yeah, it's no, like, check on the table before you're even halfway through your meal. Like, hey, we're trying to get you out of here and turn over these tables. Um, they really just, I do love that when they let you just hang out however long you want, have as many glasses of wine as you want. That's one of my favorite things. (laughs) Okay. So something that is kind of a pain point, I think for a lot of travelers is, you know, coordinating traveling with other people who have different travel styles. So, I mean, there's, you know, the people that love to sit on the beach and drink cocktails. There's people who love to go hiking. And I think people have hard time putting together a trip that is accommodating to, you know, different people, even if it's two people traveling together. Cause you know, sometimes a compromise doesn't make either party happy. <laughs> so do you have any tips for built for people traveling together who may have different travel styles and just kind of making it work for the two people or the group that's, you know, traveling together? I mean, travel is about compromise. You know, I've traveled with people who I will never travel with again. And they're still my best friends. I just don't want to go on a trip with them again. You know, they're night owls. I'm a morning person. They want to do expensive things. I want to go like wander and find like the $2 needle shop. So I think it's just about if you go travel with someone and then you find out that their style is different, just saying, hey, um, you want to do these things. I want to do these things. Let's meet up at nighttime for you know, come back and talk about each other's day. It's just going to make your trip miserable if if you're, like, always bickering. Now, I mean, of course, you go do one of their things and they do one of your things. 
you can do it that way. Like you choose an activity, mm-hmm. but if it becomes, if it comes to the point where you are, you realize like we travel very differently. You just have to go do your own thing. I mean, I went to, um, where did I go? I went to Coruscant with a friend and she was like, I just want to set the beach all day at this resort. And I was like, well, let's go to the other side of the Island. I hear there's beaches there. She's like, no. <laughs> I was like, well, you have fun. I'll see you at dinner. A couple days I just was like, yeah, I just want to sit by the beach today. But, you know, I didn't want to do that for a whole week. So Mm -hmm. that was that. I think people get caught up in like, they have to do everything together. And I think it's, you know, I love doing things by myself anyway. But I think people might have that problem of, you know, especially if if you're in a new place and you want to go out early in the morning, but the person you're traveling with, you know, wants to sleep in and stayed out late the night before, it can definitely be like, a f- like friction there, I think. And so I don't even know. <laughs> I don't know how you get through that. But I think you just have to go do you know what you want to do. Because in the end, it's your each person's vacation anyway, and you're paying the money to do what you want to do. And I think just kind of like putting your foot down about certain things of I want to do this, you know, because this is why I came here and you can do what you want to do because that's why you came here, but not taking it, you know, necessarily personally, like I don't want to spend time with you. (laughs) It's just that you want to do different things. So it's a rare thing to find someone that you travel really well with, I think. Yeah, Mm -hmm. agreed. Someone that just wants to do everything that you want to do and you're happy to go everywhere together is I think a rare thing. Okay, let's talk about books. I know you do you know, you have your um, travel book recommendations that you send out via email. In addition to being a New York Times bestselling author yourself, I'm sure you do your fair share of reading as well. I'm always looking to add, you know, more books to my reading list and more travel books. So do you have an absolute favorite travel book? I don't think I have like a a specific, like this is the best travel book of all time. Uh, But I do have a, a, a number of books I really love. I think if you're just looking for like some practical inspiration, Vagabonding by Ralph Potts is the classic on classics. Mm-hmm. In a Sunburned Country by Bill Bryson. I mean, it's what got me thinking about Australia and traveling in the first place. Cheryl Strait's Wild is mm-hmm. very phenomenal. I also like Love with a Chance of Drowning by Tori DeRoche. The Caliph's House by Tahir Shah is incredible storytelling. Mm-hmm. Let me walk to my bookcase and... Let's see what else is up there. All right. <laughs> Just riddle them off. Um, hmm. uh, Turn right at Machu Picchu. Yeah, Mark Adams. That, that's, that's really great. Yeah. Good list to start. Yeah. That'll get me started for uh, 2019. Really like River Town by Peter Hessler. Okay. Excellent. I will definitely add those to my reading list. All right. Another thing that I would like to talk about is travel mishaps. You know, I think we've all had... Um, quite a few mishaps while traveling. I think we've done them all. You know, we've booked flights on the wrong day and hotel state hostel stays, you know, for the wrong night. Um, we've missed buses and trains and overpaid for things and all kinds of things. Do you have a travel mishap you want to share? Like anything that just went monumentally wrong. And I feel like it's always like one day of just everything going wrong. Do you have something that sticks out in your mind? Yeah, I think, I mean, just the nature of travel is going to mean that eventually something is going to go wrong. You're going to get sick. Flight's going to get delayed. You know, something bad will happen. It's just how it, it's just life, you know? In terms of, like, crazy mishaps, like, 
like a comedy of errors. I, I can't think of one off the top of my head. I know that they exist. Like what is one, you know, I've, I've shown up at airports on the wrong day. Oh, no. I once showed up at an airport and having forgotten I booked my flight, I had booked another one. Oh, they no. were like, oh, we have two reservations for you. And so I had <laughs> booked a seat twice. And of course, it was a budget airline, which meant I was not getting any money back from that. Right. They're like, you have two seats now. <laughs> you can halfway through switch to your other seat. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, you know, you just, small things like that. I have, I went to, like, small things. Like, I I went to the beach once and I realized I didn't have a bathing suit. Um, you know, <laughs> I was in um, Fiji. I was like, I don't have a bathing suit. Wait. Where's my business? You know, and, and I think there's just like little things like that. I can't say, you know, I was on, oh, I got lost in the jungle. Yeah, now, see, now we're talking about it. All right, there we go. <laughs> I got lost in the jungle in Costa Rica once. Um, we, we went up, we took the wrong trail, and we didn't know where we were, and then the sun set, and we had to navigate oh, by camera battery light from the screen to get out of the park. It took us hours. And we didn't have anything through the water either. I I was on a bus that broke down in the middle of the Australian outback. Um, so we had to wait till someone comes. It's not like once you get out, of, it's not like a freeway. <laughs> yeah, once you get out of a range of a town, you lose cell service. So we couldn't just call anybody. Mm-hmm. So we sat there for four hours waiting for a car to come by. Right, you're just hoping we someone shows yeah. up in a timely fashion. Yeah, we did have um, yeah food and water at that time. So. Not all, not all hope is lost. Yeah, that's something. There's positive. <laughs> uh, yeah, we have so many of those. I could just, I got to write them all down one day. Um, we always ask people for, you know, travel stories at the end of these episodes. We feel like we've just been showed, you know, kindness by so many strangers. Like so many people have helped us out and, you know, showed us the nice side of travel that I think, you know, not everybody talks about all the time. So do you have another, you know, travel story where you found yourself maybe in a situation that you wouldn't normally try and you were kind of, you know, doing something that you don't think the regular Matt would be doing at home or just a time a stranger showed you kindness? Um, do you have any of those stories? Oh, oh yeah, definitely. You know, I, uh, I was couch surfing once in Japan and I had written down what I thought was the address. Turned out it was not the address. And I walked into a random Japanese guy's house. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Imagine like being in Texas and opening the door and walking into a stranger's house. And he looked at me and I was like, oh wait, I'm in the wrong place. I have arrived. <laughs> and I just gave him the address of, you know, where I had to be. And he walked me to where I need to go like three blocks away. I was like, yeah, that's too far. Oh, nice. I was like, uh, only in Japan will this happen. Uh, right. You know, I... Hitchhiked in. I hitchhiked in a lot of places, but you know, in Iceland, I hitchhiked, and this guy didn't really speak a lot of English. He was an old fisherman, but he sort of took me on the road to where I need to go, but also would stop, be like, "Good sight," you know, and he would <laughs> like to see waterfalls and glaciers, and he would just stop like, "Oh, that's amazing!" Um, <laughs> I was like, "Oh, sorry." I, he's like, "No, stay as long as you want," and I was like, "Wow." Not only is he giving me a ride, he's letting like me do my own thing. Yeah, he's like your impromptu tour guide. 
That's very cool. I I love hearing people's travel stories like that, where it's just like, where else in the world would that happen? Because it certainly doesn't happen to me at home, but I guess I'm not always lost at home either. But I would hope someone would help me at home as well, or, you know, help other travelers. But, um, you know, I always try to be nice to people that are visiting and show like kind of pass along that kindness to people and walk them three blocks to their house if I can, and just kind of pass that along. And I love that part of traveling is just you find yourself in situations or, you know, strangers that can't even speak your language trying to help you out because they can see that you're having a hard time. And um, that's just a really amazing part of traveling. So that's all the questions I had for you today. Um, I just wanted to thank you, you know, for coming on and sharing all your stories and your mishaps and how you got started and all of those things. And, you know, of course, taking time out of your busy schedule to come talk to us. If you would like to let everyone know where they can get, you know, involved in your community of travelers, where they can find you online, um, please do so. Uh, yes, you can find me at nomadicmat.com and you can find me on social media everywhere at Nomadic Matt. We're, we're well branded with the name. Uh, so if you like go to any social media service and type in dash nomadic mat or like the, the backslash nomadic mat, uh, you will find me. And you can also find my Perfect. book, How to Travel the World on $50 a day on Amazon or Barnes & Noble or your local independent bookseller. Wonderful. All right. Well, thank you so much, Matt. I appreciate you being here. Um, thank you guys for listening today. And we will see you on the next episode. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to the Rambling Gals podcast. You can always head to our website, theramblinggals.com, for more travel resources and our archive of podcast episodes. If this podcast was right up your alley, we would love to receive a review from you. And please don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode from us. See you on the next one.